This is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, our guest today is a global award-winning speaker, best-selling author, and quite an amazing singer, might I add, who is finishing up her first album right now in the recording studio. She is inspirational, a bright light, and she's just an absolute joy to be around. She's a good friend of mine. She's a colleague. Dr. Michelle Maras, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you. You know, it has been a, a really long time coming to start this podcast up. You and I We've been on a lot of podcasts together. Uh, you have your own podcast that you run. Actually, you have a couple uh, shows that you run very consistently. And it is just an honor for me to have you on as a guest and to share this amazing woman with you today. You are about to experience some amazing, amazing gifts of information. So make sure you got a pen ready. Uh, take some great notes because Michelle is just going to pour into your life. Michelle, uh, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have a lot to live up to. <laughs> well, just like you always do with me, I got to set the bar really high. Got to have high expectations for everyone, right? It is true. I always do that too, too. But thank you so much that for having true. me on your show. I'm excited. You know, it's it's funny. We've known each other for a number of years, but uh, I want to go back uh, to start our our talk out. Uh, to start the show out, I want to go back to a really, really distant past. Uh, I want to start out with where where did Michelle come from? Because I think we we that know Michelle have seen her in this amazing glory. You know, I knew you before you all of a sudden blew up and were this amazing, you've always been this amazing speaker, but before everyone knew who you were, I'm curious, where did, where did you grow up? What, what was life like as a kid for you? Um, do you know the movie, the jerk? Yeah. Steve Martin. I always say I was born a poor black child. <laughs> my father is French Creole and my mother's Filipino and he was military stationed in the Philippines. So I grew up in the Philippines for the first 16 years of my life. Most people would not realize that Michelle did not spend her childhood here in the U.S. She actually has a very different outlook on life because of that. Oh, big time. I had so much culture shock when I came to America. I, I honestly, truly believed that people sang in the streets. The streets were gold. Candy grew on trees. I mean, I really believed all the hype that Hollywood had ever put out. I expected to see Gene Kelly. So when I came off the airplane at you know, 15 and a half, I came out and said, who will buy this wonderful morning? And no one answered me. So I realized <laughs> that there aren't a lot of Nathans in the world because when I met you and I sang, you sang with me. And that's really what, yeah. what brought me to you was I've always loved to sing and I've always wanted someone to answer me and people didn't. And I learned that mm. at 15 and a half, the streets are not made of gold and people are not singing and dancing in unison. It's true. They're not. But but I will say Michelle does work hard to get everyone to sing, everyone to come around and and be part of something great. You know, that's one of the things I love about you, Michelle, is that you are so real, so inviting. You have this community aspect about you that you just welcome people in. Uh, to your community. What was community like for you growing up? Like, what was it? Was it large community? Was it small community? Like, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a family of four, four kids, me included. 
And, you know, for me, it was always this like, okay, kind of rough and tumble kind of thing. I have, I have, I have a little inkling that maybe community for you might've been bigger than just a couple people. <laughs> my mother's the eldest of 16 children. So my mother and my grandmother are having children at the same time. So my uncles and my aunts are the same age as my brothers and I, and my sisters. So I grew up with all my aunts and uncles. We were all the same age. We were all riding our bikes together and doing crazy things together. And we were, they, they were my uncles and my aunts, but we grew up as a gigantic family. So think of 12 other children about my age. And then my fam my immediate family, there was four of us. And then 10 years after me, there were the twins. So this huge pack of just the immediate family and then all of the real cousins. So in the Philippines, if you know Philippine culture, we are family and we just gather people. So a lot of times I called people my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, and we really had no relation. It's just, they were always with us and we were always eating and dancing and singing. So yes, I love community. <laughs> I love that so much. How, how has that shaped the way that you create community around you right now? I love everyone. Like they're my brother and my sister. I, and that's what I think people get confused when they meet me is that I really do see you as my brother and my sister. I, and I, I, you're maybe a complete stranger, but to you, I love you until you prove me wrong. And I'll still love you. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but that's what brings, that's why I am the community oriented human I am. You know, I can walk into a room of 3,000 and a good 2,000 that walk by me will say, gosh, that's a really nice person. Whoever she is, she's a really nice person. You know, it's just who I am. It's part of me. It really is part of you. You know, you've always been so welcoming. Ever since I've known you, you've always been a person that just welcomes everyone in. And I think what's interesting about that too is because of that ability to welcome people in, you know, you have welcomed people into your life that maybe weren't the greatest people. Uh, and over time, I think there was a maturity that came along with that of, hey, you know, uh, I'm creating this tribe that I want to grow, that I want for them to reach their full potential in life. I want them to swing for the stars. And because of that desire, you actually started editing the people that you were surrounding yourself with. You know, uh, with that process of going from, hey, I have a tribe, everyone is welcome, which is true, everyone is welcome, until you start to really get to understand and know the person. And I think there's maybe some characteristics and traits about those people that come forth that you say, you know what, uh, this person actually isn't part of my tribe. What was, what was that process like? Maybe that was a, was that a, like an early on in life process where you started to realize that you had to maybe put some boundaries in, or was that something that came along with career and as you came along with, uh, with speaking and, and mentoring? It came along later because as a child, I kept looking, I'm always looking for the good in people always. And as a child, it kind of burned me. As a teenager, it burned me more. And as I got into the political world, I, my, my past life was in the political world, I started realizing not everyone is what they seem to be. And then when I branched mm -hmm. out into the coaching world and all the other things that I've gone through, I went, yeah, no, 
Yeah, no. And I just noticed that there were personality traits I did not want anywhere near me. And so basically the number one that I keep away from me is negativity. If someone talks about anyone else, I'm very nice about it. I just step away and I, I'll let them talk. And, oh, interesting. And note to myself, if they're talking about so-and-so, more than likely they're talking about me. So you just go away because gossip is elaborated, whatever. I don't care if you think it's the truth. It's your reality, not everyone else's. So don't talk about it. So that's the first person I decided I need to keep out of my life negative people or people who talk about other people. And then the other thing was, I realized people who can see beyond their nose, <laughs> if they can see, oh my gosh, in, in, in five or 10 years, I would, and see something big. I don't even care what the big thing is just to be able to see. Because when I've met people who are in my world and I said, you know what, one day I'd like to sing on Broadway. And they went, <clears throat> Another chance of that, you're not even in New York. I knew I needed to keep those people away from me. We are so susceptible. Our subconscious minds remember everything that gets taken in. When I was recovering from my, my traumatic brain injury, I realized that when people would say something to me, it would be internalized, even when I didn't want it internalized. So I have a brain injury and I would go out and I would say, I'm sorry, um, I have a brain injury and I can't remember. And they do, oh, you have a brain injury? I'm so sorry. Why aren't you home? I mean, how do you, how do you feel? Are you, are you sick? And they would ask me all these questions. And although I'm saying straight to them, I feel fine. I'm just tired. When I would get home, my brain, my subconscious would take in everything they said. And I would do, oh, I have a brain injury. Maybe I'm sick. Maybe I should sit in the dark. And my body would get physically ill. So I am very careful of the people who interject negativity into my mind, even when they don't even mean to. So mm. oh, you're, you're 55. Wow. Do your joints ache? Because wow, when I was 45, my joints were aching. No, I'm good. And I'll walk away. Why? Because I'm, I am 55. And if I hear that, I will start aching. It's what your mind does. You take on what you hear. So I also avoid Music that is agitating, movies that are agitating, TV shows, anything negative that will be put into my subconscious mind, I avoid. So that's why I'm usually singing happy songs and Disney songs. And I'm, I'm laughing and smiling and watching things and like nature shows where, you know, birds are flapping. No, not the tigers eating things, but <laughs> just happy <laughs> things because I know my subconscious mind really is sensitive to it. And I believe everyone's is. I just notice it because I have a brain injury. You know, I think what's really interesting about that, I love that you, I love that you give like two really good parameters that you've put in place in your life to make sure that you're putting the right people in place. Actually have this kind of dual thought within the people that you're bringing around you. First of all, the negative people, those that might speak or gossip about others. Uh, I love that you say that. But the negative, the negative thought person that is in your life is truly, and it's going to sound really bad, but they're cancer. They really are a cancer. And that doesn't mean that you don't have people around in your life that have a reality about them. Because we need people in reality, the people who are dreamers, we, we need them around us so we can say, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go and sell the farm, you know, to go on this little adventure of mine, right? We need people like that. But we also need people in our life that 
not only bring us to reality, but see the opportunity and potential of what we could be. So I love that you say that about uh, taking out the negative in your life, not being so removed that you don't see reality, but removing the negative. And then having people in your life who are big visionaries, people who see beyond what their nose is. I love that you say that because it's such a great visual because most people can't see what's in front of their face. Like, and even at some points, I think even for you, there was a long period of time where you didn't sing, right? Um, You didn't sing at all because of things that were spoken over you in your life. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that because you have this recording that you're actually finishing up right now. She's in the studio working hard. Her voice is absolutely spectacular. And if you see the full range of the type of music that she's working with, your brain is just going to explode. So Michelle, how in the world did you go from not believing you even had a voice to being a powerhouse voice that's starting to record and about to put her album out for the first time ever. How did you do that? I went back to my roots. When I was a little girl, my father wanted us, there were so many of us in the family. (laughs) He wanted us to be like the new Jackson five. And so I was always the front person. I was always the singer and they would always put me in the front and I would sing. And as I got older, I would try out for um, church choir and they would say, sorry, you can't be in church choir. You can't sing. You can't sing. And so I would hear, you can't sing. And then uh, when I was in high school, I, heard, I had in my mind, I can't sing. And I remember my, one of my siblings said, well, Michelle, you're a church singer. You're not a, you're not a singer singer. Well, so I went back to church and church said, no, you are not a choir singer. You don't blend. And so I thought hmm. that was a very bad thing. So in high school, all of my friends, I was a big band person, pep band and all that stuff, but I never joined the choir. And one day I was walking down the aisle, uh, the hallway of the school, and I'm, you know me, I always sing nowadays, especially. But in high school, I, it was a girl named Wendy, and I had this crazy thing about me where I love to sing lyrics that work like sentences. And so she was walking down the hallway and I went, who's peeking out from under the stairway? And I was singing to her down this hallway and it was echoing like a bathroom. So the acoustics were amazing. And a teacher jumps out of the room. He goes, who's singing out here? And I went, and I hid. And all my friends went, it's Michelle. And they all pointed at me. I'm like, they all outed me out. And the teacher comes out and he goes, why aren't you in my choir? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I, I, I can't sing. And he said, uh, I beg to differ. And he brought me in and he played scales on the piano. And he told me, whatever I play, you sing. And he went, dum, da, 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 dum, da, 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 dum. He went all the way up. And when he's done, he said, do you know you have perfect pitch? I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, you also sang three ledger lines above the staff and two below perfect. I went, okay, is that good? He is. That's very good. You're in my choir. And so he brought me (laughs) an entire schedule. He took me out of physics to put me in his choir. And I ended up having moved my, my physics. It was crazy. He moved me. And he was the first one who said, I don't know who told you, you can't sing, but you can sing. That was my senior year. I never auditioned for anything, for any solos, because I'm just a, a singer. And I remember him coming up to me and he said, 
you need to audition for the class song. And I said, oh, no, that's for so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm not that good. He says, just audition. And we auditioned in front of the whole choir for our senior song for graduation. And I got it. And I sang in front of my graduating class. And my class alone, I think, was like 5,000. And I, I remember the whole room. And it was a, from fame. I sing the body electric. I glory in the glory mm. birth. And I remember singing in it, my whole voice, taking that entire stadium up, thinking, oh, my gosh, I love this. But as years went by, I never got into the choir again. And then I was told to shut up. I was too loud. And I remember encapsulating that into me. And it wasn't until I met you at uh, Dr. Paul Sheely's event that I had this huge revelation that my voice was part of who I am and that I, by holding it back, I was holding back the next level of me. I was always lost. And now I found myself and I found it through music. And so that is why now I've recorded an album because people like you in my life, I mean, you were one of the people I kept near because you see the potential in me, you see the dreamer in me and dream with me and then help me dream bigger than I can dare to dream. It's having people in my world that do, you know what, wouldn't that be cool? And we dream big. And what I do is I shoot for the stars and wherever I land, I'm happy. And now I have an album coming out and I found out by my music producer who happens to be a Commodore that I have a phenomenal voice. Here I am always thinking I was mediocre. I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a great Disney singer for my kids to know that I have an album with a person who has an ear for music. That's all he does. My husband has a recording of me singing in, in the uh, recording studio. And Thomas, his eyes are closed. He's not touching any keys. And he's, he's in the music while I'm singing. He's not touching anything. And I think that is probably the biggest wow that I have a trained musician who's been doing this for 50 years of his life or whatever in love with my voice. And I think, what are the possibilities and what's next? Because dreamers like you, wow, what's next? I'm excited. You know, it's spectacular. I love what you, you said this a little bit earlier and I want to, I want to double back to this, um, that it's important to surround yourself with people who believe in you. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because as you were talking, this phrase came into mind, don't let people place their perceptions of you on you. Because that's what happened for a long period of your life. Because the majority of people that are around us, that are around people, you know, I, I would say that you and I were both bright, shiny stars. We we naturally attract, you know, people throwing things at us. <laughs> and there's there's something about this this piece of it's really easy for us to allow other people to place their perceptions on top of us and and the more we allow other people to place their perceptions on us the more we begin to change to meet that expectation ever expectation you allow people to place on you you'll never outlive that however if you place your own expectation of yourself to be higher than that of anyone else then you will always rise to that level of expectation. You'll never, you'll never go below that 
you'll always meet it and you'll never go above it either. So place a great expectation of who you are and who you're created to be, because I love this. Your teacher was the first person who you borrowed belief from. You borrowed belief from this teacher who heard your voice and said, oh my gosh, Michelle, you are absolutely spectacular. You need to join my choir. There is the belief. And then he saw something greater in you. Hey, I want you to be the star. I want you to belt it out and to sing. And what you never knew and what you know now, maybe not back then, but your voice was part of who you are. And I, I'm almost curious, what do you think would have happened if instead of going back to the people who didn't believe that you were a good singer, what do you think would have happened in your life if you had surrounded yourself, if you had placed that belief that you were a singer close to you, proximity of belief, if you had surrounded yourself with those people way back when you were a kid, what do you, where do you think you'd be today? Honestly, um, I would have sung the original Porgy and Best Summertime. I would have done it younger. But, you know, the thing is, is my voice has matured exponentially over the past five years. And I was smiling at you when you were, you were doing that review because a quote came to mind and I happen to have it on my board here next to me. It's a quote by M.H. McKee. It says, a true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. They are much like eagles. They don't flock. You find them one at a time. And I keep that next to me because I meet so many eagles in my life. And they're with me for a little bit. I learn and then they fly away. And now I see myself as an eagle that also I come through, I'll help somebody. And then I fly away. And there's so many of us just kind of circling around, you know, doing our thing and helping each other when we need each other. But like your question, who would I be if I was surrounded by people who believed me from the get-go? You wouldn't be talking to me right now. The other thought, it's kind of dark. I would have burned out by now. I'm 55. Mm. If, if I had started when my father wanted me to sing when I was five, I would have been like a young Michael Jackson. I would have been either went supernova or burned out and has been now because I went too fast too soon before I was mature enough to understand. See, I also do believe everything happens for some reason, what shape or what form, but everything that I, has gone on in my life has prepared me to one handle the amount of attention that will come with this ability to sing because apparently I have a very unique voice. And two, all the things that have happened to me in the past have prepared me mentally to be strong enough to handle the criticism that comes with being in the spotlight. The old me would have crumbled. The new me says, bring it. It's okay. I don't need your opinions. I know who I am. You see? Yeah. You know, I love this about Michelle. Uh, for those of you that don't know Michelle, definitely follow her on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever there's social media. She has she has social media, social media out there. Make sure you follow her. But you know, one of the things I love about Michelle is truly her journey. If you were to if you were to go back, you know, it's funny because I was actually going back a little while ago and I was looking for uh, when Michelle first stepped out into the speaker world. Um, 
I was encouraging her to do Facebook lives when Facebook lives were a thing. And so I, I was like, Hey, you know, you need to go and you need to start Facebook lives and do it. And she said, well, I'm only going to do it if you do it with me. I'm not going to do it for any other reason. And so I said, okay, like I'll, I'll do it with you. And so I was searching through Facebook to find our first Facebook life. I took a little screenshot here. Now look, just look at the woman. If you're watching the video here, if you look at her, you see a woman that is just completely stressed. She like, how, how much did you weigh in this picture, Michelle? Uh, that was before my cancer diagnosis. So I believe I was at at least three something. 300. Okay, so over, so over 300 pounds and I'm not, I, you know, my mother taught me, well, I'm not going to ask now, but let me, if you were looking at Michelle right now, she doesn't look anything like this photo. And one of the most remarkable things about Michelle is that if you were to look at her and look at this picture from the past, you would say, oh my gosh, Michelle, did you get on some kind of like diet? Are you on keto? Are you on paleo? Are you, you know, what diet are you on? What did you do to lose all that weight? And here's what I know about Michelle. The time uh, of transformation and change for her had nothing to do with diet. It had nothing to do with exercise and had everything to do with her identity and her mindset. Michelle, you know exactly that time period that I'm talking about. Walk through uh, for the listeners right now. What did that look like for you to release, right? That's the word we like to use. What did it take for you to release this weight? Because it wasn't a physical thing. It was it was 100% a mental thing in order for you to be where you are today. Well, I think it's a 98% mental thing, 2% physical. I, I, I was battling a brain injury. So I have a traumatic brain injury. And on top of that, got diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, the old me was... I need my brain. I don't care about my body. And so I just let my body go. Okay. My brain injury, I was stuck in my body for over two years. So I just, they've just fed me and I never moved. And so I gained a lot of weight. So I was, I've dropped 240 pounds. Okay. So when you look at me, you think she's definitely on some sort of a diet. No, I'm on a live it. I say a live it because with my brain injury, I had to feed my brain food for it to heal. I needed high protein. Well, with the high protein came high fat. So I'm eating protein and then my cholesterol started going up. And they're like, you need to eat only lean protein. I'm like, okay, so I have to do this? Yes. Okay. And you have to take out this? Yes. I do. Okay. So lean protein. And so I went to lean protein and I cut out all red meat and went to only fish. And then my body got really sick because I couldn't get in enough iron. So all these things I was doing, trying to feed my brain. And while I'm feeding my brain, I found out I had breast cancer. So my brain started healing. Then I found I had breast cancer. But with breast cancer, you basically go on a very strict, almost like a diabetic diet, where you have to watch every carb that comes in because carbs turn to sugar. So I started watching. I cut sugar. I, I understood white sugar out. So anything that was white didn't go into my body. That's what I understood. That's how I started. And I started taking away, I took away sodas first, sodas and, and Splenda in my coffee. Okay. So I started that. And what happened was I realized that 
sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Like I wasn't diabetic. So if I ate rice, my blood sugar didn't spike, but if I ate a potato, it did. So I went, okay, well, I'll eat potatoes and I won't eat rice, you know, vice versa. I'll eat rice and I won't eat potatoes. And so I just kept playing with all these different things they told me were bad for me and found this happy place. And what I realized was I'm worthy. That's what the 98% was. I was worthy of health. I was worthy of living longer. I was worthy of not having pain. I was worthy of healing. And in order to do that, I needed to give my body what it needed. So in order to give my body what it needs, I needed to get quiet enough to listen to it. So often we eat and we eat so fast. You know, dang, I eat that whole plate. Must have been hungry. I don't do it that way anymore. Now I take a bite and I think I might chew it like 15,000 times. I, I think they call it mass, masticating. Mastication. Mastication. I chew so long that everyone else is done eating and I'm still on bite one. And so everyone laughs at me. But what I do is I wait for my body to tell me when it doesn't want it anymore. So I will put something in my mouth and I will chew. I love French fries. I mean, love French fries. I can't eat them. I'll put them in my mouth. I'll chew and do. And my body literally will say, that is old grease. That is gross. And although I love them, my body hates them. So I listen to my body. That's kind of how I get it. And so if you're ever around me, yes, I eat slow. Yes, I eat like a bird. But it's because when I eat, my body will tell me when it doesn't want it anymore. Now, I also have a little bit of a side note. I've had nine surgeries since my breast, uh, my double mastectomy. I had nine surgeries. Every six months, they cut me open. So every time they cut me open, that would stop me from wanting to eat because they put me on a liquid diet or they would put me on a water thing or uh, nutrient packets. And you know, you've seen me eat the little nutrient packets. It's because they took out part of my colon. So I have other things in my body that are missing from my body that makes me have to be really careful what I eat. So everything's different mm. for everybody. But the number one thing is knowing that you deserve to be healthier because the old me didn't believe that. And the old me also believed what everyone says. You're 50. You're just going to gain weight. You're a woman. Just suck it up. Suck it up, buttercup. It's hormonal. There's nothing you can do. And the old me believed that. The new me now knows. You choose. You just have to find your own way over, around, or through. You know what I love about your story, Michelle? It, you know, you've had such amazing success in life. You know, uh, and I say that no one gets to be woman of the year uh, without having some amount of success. Uh, someone doesn't get to host multiple shows, be in movies, have an album that's coming out. Like she is an international speaker, highly paid speaker that travels around the world to speak. I think if I remember correctly, there's there's even Dubai here in the future that uh, you're going to be going and speaking like she is. She is not in a small pond. She is in a big, big, vast ocean. And to see where she is, you might see where she is right now. You might easily come to the conclusion that, well, everything just was perfect for her. Everything fell into place and it was just right. And she never struggled. And I hope you heard the first portion of her story. First of all, didn't grow up here in the States, came to America expecting something that wasn't a reality. 
And we haven't even gotten the the section of life, which I want to maybe hit if we have some time of what was that like uh, for you growing up here in the States once you once you got over here. But what's really fascinating is you did have trial after trial after trial after trial. When I first met you, and I didn't know this at the time, you had just come, you, you just started your recovery process from having a traumatic brain injury. And I, we had this really interesting interaction that most people that hear it, they kind of laugh, but I'm almost, I almost am in shock when, when you tell it because I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I ever do this to this poor woman? But, you know, we're, we're at this international conference and we're both in the same bus. We're both going to the same place. And you look at me and say, hey, are you, go are you going to this convention? And I said, yeah. And she's, oh, what's your name? Uh, oh, I'm Bartholomew is what I said. And he, oh, nice to meet, meet you, Bartholomew. I'm Michelle. And like, the only reason I said Bartholomew was because, uh, one, I didn't really want to be seen or really talk too much. I had a long flight. But then on top of that, I was curious if I could actually say the word Bartholomew. It just seemed like a really difficult tongue twister to me. <laughs> and so, and so. I didn't know at this time that she had this traumatic brain injury. In fact, Michelle, how did this brain injury come about? Like how, tell, tell me how that journey from when it happened to getting to that place, because it's quite, it's quite an amazing uh, God ordained story for you to even be on the bus with me at that point. Yeah, because uh, wow, uh, brain injury. I, I was driving to pick up my kids from school. I was writing political things at the time. And I looked at my computer screens. I had two of them. And I said, dear God, give me a break. I mean, I was so tired. It was the end of a campaign year. And uh, my alarm went off to go pick up my kids from school. I went to go pick my kids up, driving up around the hill. And there's a stop sign to the back parking lot at the school. And a little girl had ran the stop sign. And she slammed into my car engine block fell. I mean, it was a mess. And I jumped out of the car to check on the teenager because I'm a mom. That's what I do. And apparently I passed out on the back at the back of my car. And when I woke up, the paramedics were over me saying, I needed to breathe. You have to bring your heart down, ma'am. You're having a heart attack. You need to breathe. You need to breathe. And apparently I was out for over 40 minutes. So that's how they knew something was wrong with my brain. But 12 days later, I stopped speaking coherently. And then I stopped walking. And then for the next two years, three months, I did not move at all. And I would speak, my husband said in the morning, I would speak in fragmented sentences that really made no sense. But if I sang, I made sense. So I could say, I, I remember seeing the images, and not being able to find the words. So I would say cylinder, liquid. And I, I could see it, but I couldn't tell you what it was, but I could sing. I could sing. I'd like some water, please. Perfect. So it was part of my brain injury. So all this happens at the end of this th two years, three months, I'm suicidal and I'm mad at God for putting me through this because what did I do to deserve this? And I had been trapped in my mind with my with all my inner critics and all the things I never got to do. And I, their doctors are talking around me like I'm never going to walk again or talk again. They don't know anything. What's wrong with my brain? It's just not working. Maybe I have a concussion. I'll get over it. That kind of thing. And at the end of that two years, three months, I was screaming at God. 
And I was in my head screaming at him saying, if you hate me so much, then just kill me, just kill me. Because I tell you the worst thing in the world is to have your babies cleaning you. I, I can't explain it. It was horrible. And I was so helpless and I couldn't do anything. And my babies were taking care of me. And I, I said, I wanted to go. And I heard, you're not dead yet. Get up. And that's the story I shared on my TEDx was that voice that I heard. And in my TEDx, I said it was my mother-in-law, but it was definitely not my mother-in-law. And in those voice, in that voice that I heard, I saw every bad thing that had ever happened to me. There was someone holding me and protecting me from much worse. And in that moment, I realized I'd been running from the wrong, wrong God. I was running and I was not succeeding because he had been protecting me. He wasn't torturing me. He was taking care of me. And then the other thing I realized was that I played small all my life, thinking that I was being hated by something bigger than me. And he'd been protecting me. And then I realized if I've got something that big protecting me, why in the world am I playing small? And I promised God that I would walk through every door. I would say yes to every opportunity. And if it was meant to happen, it would go. If it wasn't meant to happen, then it wouldn't. And so I kind of live that way now. It's like, okay, I'll do it. Oh, didn't work. Okay, no big deal. <laughs> so if I recall correctly, you were at work no, you were, you were actually part of Toastmasters, and at a Toastmasters meeting, someone spoke leadership over you. Yes. And specifically, well, they kind of kind of like your teacher back in high school who said, hey, you're a great singer. Someone came up to you and said, hey, uh, Michelle, you're actually a leader. Like, you're, you're yeah. a good leader. And you kind of gave him the stare. And I want you to tell a little bit of that story because that I think that crescendos really well to where we first met, right? Okay. Well, uh, my doctors, my neurologist said for me to get my memory back, I should go back to what I used to do. Well, I have my calendar alerts and it said, go to Toastmaster, go this, do that. Apparently I was the Southern Division governor for Toastmasters in Colorado Springs. And so I went to the clubs that I was scheduled to go see apparently. So I went to one of these club meetings to figure out what Toastmasters was because I did not remember. And everyone knew me. And so I, I sat in the back of the room trying to figure out why did everyone know me? And um, they're all doing their little talks and everything. And then someone says, well, Michelle, come on up and tell a story. And I'm like, okay, I have a 16 second memory. I went up, I tell a story because I forgot that I didn't know how to tell a story. And I told some story about a crocodile or yeah, a crocodile when I was a kid. And when I came back, Robert Kittredge came up to me and he said, are you okay? And I said, uh, I have a brain injury. He has, well, you seem off. And I told him I have a brain injury. And that's all I said. My daughter took over and said, yeah, she got in a car accident, blah, 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 blah. And he said, Michelle, you know, you're, you're a great leader. And I said, I am. He has, oh yeah. He has, maybe you should check out the John Maxwell team and study it. Cause that will maybe click your memory. Instead of you driving around town to Toastmaster meetings, you could be at your computer and just listen and maybe it'll, it'll help. And so I did that. And he also introduced me to Harmonize Brain Center, uh, Dallas Shepard, who does all of my uh, neural feedback sessions on my brain. But it was Robert Kittredge who had me sign up and then said, I will meet you at the, at the JMT conference and you won't be alone there. And that's why I signed up. 
so I could learn. Apparently, as my husband, when I went home and told my husband what, what Kittredge said, he said, yeah, you have a whole bunch of John Maxwell books. I'm like, I do. And so I, I looked and I'm like, I really do have a lot of John Maxwell books. And so I ended up studying this and a lot of it did click. I had been reading John Maxwell books since I was 14. So I, I, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. I just didn't realize it. And then I went to the John Maxwell conference to be certified because part of my brain injury is I don't have a strong, I, I didn't have a strong recall. I could not remember bills and things of that nature for the political arena that I used to have. And so I was shifting to help myself as a coach, not to help anyone else, just to help myself. And that's where I met you going to the John Maxwell conference was trying to be around other people that were positive, other people who were improving themselves would help me. It was all selfish. Help me find who I am around all these positive people. And look, we're still friends. Mm. Well, we're still friends after, you know, I told you my name was Bartholomew, <laughs> which by, <laughs> which by the way, all night, go ahead. I Bartholomew, and I had it in my head and I remembered your face, Bartholomew, Bartholomew. And the next day when you went on stage and they said, Nathan Cook, and you ran on stage with that bow tie. I went, how did they get his name wrong? They got his name wrong. And I was trying to fix it from the back of the room. That's not, that's not Nathan Cook. His name is Bartholomew. And they know, well, maybe that's his middle name. I do pretty sure he called himself Bartholomew. And so it wasn't until later that someone else, I think I went to Robert Kittredge and I said, they announced Bartholomew wrong. And he said, who's Bartholomew? I said, the guy right there with the tie, the bow tie. And he went, that's not Bartholomew, that's, that's Nathan. And so I came up to you, I said, I thought your name was Bartholomew. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, it was quite an experience. It. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, what's, what's so fascinating about your story, Michelle, is just how much trial you've gone through. You know, you and I, we've talked about the crucible of life. You know, life truly is this crucible. It heats up. And we have the opportunity to let go of the impurities, let go of the things in our life that maybe God doesn't want us to have anymore so that he can prepare us for what he does have to mold us into a, an amazing vessel to be able to speak life into other people, right? You've, you've heard me talk about that. You know, I was at uh, your speaker boot camp uh, earlier this year. Uh, you know, it was great to get that invite from you to be there and to pour into other people. And what's so fascinating is that your life truly has been this crucible. You know, it heats up, you have dross that's removed, these impurities that are removed from your life. And just when you think, oh yeah, I'm gonna be molded into something, you know, no more hardship, more hardship comes in and more <laughs> hardship comes in. And and you look at Michelle and you're like, oh, well, she doesn't, she doesn't have any bad days. She's not having anything going on in her life. Like everything is just up, up, up and up. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on this journey with you for long enough to see those ups and those downs. But I will tell you this, when she says about, when she talks about not having negative people in her life, not only does she keep negative people out of her life, but she is a positive person that emits light into other people's lives. Like she works hard to be positive in every single situation. In fact, I remember very specifically when you were first diagnosed with breast cancer, you called me. Tell me about your, your breast cancer diagnosis. And I said, and you were telling me about, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen with this? And it was a moment where you were, where you weren't maybe quite as positive as you normally are. And I said, but 
think of all the people you're going to be able to help now with oh, this story. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden that shifted. And from that point, I never heard the, oh my gosh, I'm going through breast cancer piece. From that point forward, it was always, this is, this is an experience that I have that God has given me, that he's gifted me, that I'm going to be able to speak life into other people. You have this natural ability to be positive, a positive light into other people that it doesn't come natural to a lot of people. In your life, how has being positive that, I think, because I think it's a core identity of you. I think your core identity is being a positive person and seeing the good. Even, even when it's hard to see good, you still see the good. How has that played well to you, even in some of the hardest circumstances in life, where maybe the people weren't as kind, that weren't as true as you would hope they'd been? That, that positivity is my core of resilience. When people ask you, how am I so resilient? Yeah. I choose to be the coffee bean. So for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, a, a carrot is hard, right? In its natural state. An egg is very delicate in its natural state. A coffee bean is bitter and hard. And no one knows what to do with it in its natural state. But you put all three of those in boiling water and you put it in and you put it in and you put it in, the, the carrot dissolves into nothing. It goes from being hard to bleh, gone. The Mush. egg, yeah, the egg, which was so fragile, becomes so hard. And if you cook it long enough, it starts to stink. I mean, it just, it, it alters itself to something polar opposite. But the, the coffee bean, which no one knows what to do, but you put it in that hot water again and again and again, and it puts off an aroma. It takes over the environment. It changes the environment. I choose to be a coffee bean. I will not be that fragile flower that when bad things happen, I break and crack and I don't know what to do. Or neither will I lose my identity like the carrot does. I choose to change the environment that I'm in. That's the positivity in me. That's the resiliency that happens in me. And it has saved my life in every bad thing that has happened in my life. And I remember talking to you about that breast cancer ordeal because I remember coming out of my brain injury, doing what God wanted me to do. Yes, I'm doing it. And then got this diagnosis of breast cancer. And I remember thinking, am I not moving fast enough? I mean, God, what did I do wrong? I thought maybe I had, I had squandered the time he had given me to, to do whatever he wanted me to do. And when you said that, that I could help other people. I went, that's it. He's giving me more so I can help more. This is awesome. And so when doctors were talking to me, like when they cut my breast off, I mean, they, they gave me a double mastectomy. All the other women in the ward were crying. I wasn't. And when the doctors and all the nurses started coming to my room, I said, um, am I dying? And they said, why? I said, because you're all in my room. And they said, you're just so happy. You're just glowing this joy. And you just had this surgery removing your breast. Why? Why are you so happy? And I said, because it didn't kill me. I'm alive. You saved me. And now I can go do more. And they went, how, how do we duplicate you? How do we help? Well, that's what I'm doing. I, I'm a speaker. I, I have a book and I, I'm writing another book right now. I mean, and they're like, 
mind blown. I had a lot of fans in the hospital because of that attitude change. And that's how another time I got to be closer to you is the John Maxwell um, DNA award. I won for positive attitude out of all those coaches around the world, just like you won. Right. Mine was uh, uh, valuing people and adding value to them. So you have this adding value and valuing people. And then you have this, you know, amazing woman on the other side of the table. That's uh, <laughs> that's at having a positive attitude, you know, hear what Michelle was just talking about, because her words should be ringing in your ear because so many people, and maybe you're in this position right now where you feel like, man, life is just hitting me. And I don't feel like it can get up. Like the economy is bad or I lost my job, or maybe I'm going through a divorce, or maybe I'm having issues in my relationships, or maybe my kids are wandering away from me, or there's this and there's that. You can point to all the bad things that are happening in your life. We categorize them as bad, right? I hope that you hear what Michelle's saying is that the things that are happening in your life, God is preparing you for something. Something. There's a there's a reason those things are happening in your life because God wants you to show up differently in this next season of your life. There's a reason that he's giving you these things. And it's not to make you hard like the egg. It's not to make you soft like the carrot, but it is to be a leader. John Maxwell talks that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, that every single person is a leader, whether you're a small kid or, an, or uh, someone who's on the other side of the mountain coming down. Every single one of us is a leader. And the only way that we can be an effective leader is to not be changed from here only, but to start creating change that goes out from us, that emits from us. You know, Michelle, um, there are a lot of different topics that we've talked about. And I love just how real you are. Who you are truly does come out uh, of everything that you say, everything that you do. And I want to touch on this last piece because I think it's big, you know, in terms of your relationship with God, because I think that a lot of speakers, a lot of people, they don't speak about God that like we, we kind of categorize God as, you know, this person, you know, ethereal being out there, but you have an amazing relationship with God where you walk with him. It kind of reminds me of that old hymn, you know, I walk with him, I talk with him. Like you have a connected relationship with your creator. And I think so many people are seeking that. So many people are just kind of lost nowadays. And I'm curious for you, how has your relationship with God, how has that transformed your life in terms of walking through these circumstances? Like, what is that relationship with God like? What is that meaning for you? It's freeing. It's freedom. I walk without fear. And I know people say, you know, you've done, you've gotten some bad things. I mean, bad things have happened to me in my life. But now I know that no matter what happens, one, I'm prepared in some way, shape or form, I've got to find it. Two, he's got my back. I cannot tell you how scared I used to be. And now I'm not afraid of really anything, but maybe spiders. I mean, and I still talk to spiders. And so my thing is when I, when people say, how do you walk and what's your business plan or whatever? I say, I walk in faith. And I truly mean that because I can have the best business plan and God will do that person. 
And it's really subtle. I listen, just like I told you, I listen to what to eat. I listen and I go and I go talk to this person that just happens to pass by me. And I talk to them and sure enough, God wants me to meet them for a reason. So my thing now is my relationship is really different. Growing up, I was always afraid of God. I was told mm. to be afraid and to, to, to fall down and, be, and humble yourself and be afraid of him. And what I found is I can be humble and love him so much that I know nothing will hurt me. Even when it does hurt, it won't hurt me. And I, I can't explain what that means to your average human, but you've been with me through those pains. And I'll be crying because, I mean, they cut me open. I'm in pain. I'm like, I'm hurting. But I know this is going to save someone else later. I feel so blessed and humbled to have been chosen for this incredible task that I've been given. I mean, the hurdles. I, I mean, talk about refined silver. I mean, I've been under that, 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 on that burner so many times. It's crazy. I'm crying about it already. It hurts. But to know that I was chosen, there are no words. I, I, I am so blessed to be alive and I will serve him through and past death. I love that so much, especially what you just said, that you are chosen. And I, hope, I hope you're listening and you hear that, that you are chosen, that God has you here for a reason that there's even if it's just one person to speak into that person's life you're here for a reason you know michelle and i both believe this wholeheartedly that each and every person has a purpose in life just because your purpose might be speaking life into one child doesn't make you any less than the biggest speaker on the biggest stage speaking to millions of people god sees every single one of us and says you are my child i love you and I want the best for you, listen to me, come to me, sit at my feet, let me teach you and go out and speak the message that I've given you, right? You know, Michelle, you are such a wealth of knowledge. You have incredible wisdom. Make sure you go find her on social media, but also Michelle has uh, one of her books that she's actually only for this program from what I understand. Um, she's actually going to be giving you a free copy of her digital book, uh, Unapologetic, uh, an, entrepreneur's, an Entrepreneur's Journey uh, from Pain to Pride. And if you go to her website, www.drm360.com, that's www.drm360.com. If you go there, don't don't click on the book. If you want to buy the book, you can click on the book. But if you want to get this free digital copy of the book, click on the text, shoot her a text. It's going to go directly to her, and she's going to send you a copy of the book. Um, if they text me on my contact card and say, hold my crown or unapologetic, I will send them the PDF of either one of them. Oh my gosh. That's absolutely amazing. I hope you get this. So um, shoot her a text, get a copy of one of these books. Uh, they are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, she's a great writer. And not only that, she's a great storyteller. Whether you want to dive more into her story of uh, being unapologetic, or if you want to dive into the stories of some of the amazing people that she works with, uh, you know, as writers who are coming up, 
No, Michelle, like I said, you are so multifaceted. It's hard to fit everything that you do into one quick setting. And I know we're up at the top of the hour here, but I do want to ask you one last question before we jump off here, because I think it's really important. There are so many people in life right now that are trying to do more. They're trying to add more things under their plate. You know, you are a a speaker. You are a writer, an author. You help other people write. You help other people become speakers. You are working on an album right now. If we were to look at your speaking uh, or your docket for everything that you're doing in your life, man, it seems like you're doing a lot of stuff. But you and I both know that life is more than just doing. It's about being. Can you tell us what is one practice that you have in your life that helps you stay grounded when so much is going on around you? Time blocking. I know when I'm most productive is in the morning. So I do everything I possibly can in the morning. But here's a caveat. I also learned that I used to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. I mean, I was, I'm a workaholic. What I found was when I only work Tuesday and Thursdays and work at the same pace that I do only on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm more productive on Tuesday and Thursday than I am when I'm working the entire week. Why? Because when I was working the entire week, I would do something and I'd go to a meeting and blah, blah, blah. So all my productive time, I'd be at networking meetings or whatever. By the time I got home, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, I'm eating. And then one o'clock, I'm falling asleep. Two o'clock, I'm completely useless. And then I can't get anything done. And so what I realized is I categorize my morning. My first thing in the morning is I must go to the gym, period. That is a date with myself every day. Then Tuesdays and Thursdays, so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday are my off days. I go hang out with girlfriends or my friends like you, and I have coffee, and I do the fun things, the things in life that I was missing when I was locked in my body. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I work, but I do my product, so I go to the gym, and then I do all my hard brain work in the morning. I do it before 11 o'clock. After 11 o'clock, between 11 and 1, I'm useless. I'm either eating or I'm sitting on my chair with my feet up and reading a book. I'm doing listening to music. I'm doing me time during that time period. After that 1 o'clock, or in, like in this case, I was doing my nails today. So, and after, <laughs> after 1 o'clock, I do things that I don't have to be the main force of brain energy. So I do a lot of podcasts in the afternoon. I, I'll go to networking meetings in the afternoon, things where I don't have to be fully on. So how do I stay productive and be so busy? I know when I am productive. So find out when you are productive and put your most important tasks during those time periods. I also suggest you need to take a day off a day where you do nothing else but love on yourself and feed your your nurturing side that you need to sit in water, then go sit in water. You need to go hang out with your friends and just sing karaoke all day, then do that. I don't care what it is, but find at least one day. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday are my off days. I work Tuesday and Thursday, then Saturday and Sunday is my husband day. So I go to the cabin. There's no anything there, no radio. It's just us and a lot of books and a lot of puzzles. So. Yes, I'm incredibly productive by taking a lot of time off. It's it's so easy for us to want to fill our calendars with more, but I love the fact that you intentionally, through time blocking, yes, you're productive, but through your time blocking, you create space, you create margin in your life 
to make sure that you can actually show up for those times, to be grounded in who you are so that when you show up, you're the best version of Michelle that can show up in that exact moment. I absolutely love that. I have a quote for you. I wrote it during my okay. brain injury. The quote is, change is an emotional journey. It's not rainbows and butterflies through a field of daisies. It's uncomfortable, but it forces you to evaluate who you are. And the beauty is in the possibilities. Mm, That's how I, I love that. That's so good. I love that. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for being on the show. Again, make sure to like, share, follow this podcast uh, with all of your good friends. And we'll see you guys next time. Be more, see more, and experience more together.